What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, your go-to source for all things movies, and I am your host, Movie Mike. Today, I am breaking down the best directors who always use the same actors. We'll get into who I think are their trademark actors because they are in so many of their movies. I'll give a movie review of the new Netflix movie starring Andrew Garfield called Tick, Tick, Boom. But the thing I'm most excited about today is to break down the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer that came out last week. I am so fired up about that. I have a lot of thoughts on that and the theories that have been going on online. I can't wait to talk about that. So thank you for being subscribed to the podcast, for listening every single week. Without any further ado, let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast. One man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. So I was scrolling through TikTok the other day and I found this clip about Quentin Tarantino talking about how he's only going to make 10 movies. It got me to thinking about some of my favorite directors And then it got me to thinking about how directors kind of have their trademark actors, which I really love because when a director is able to collaborate with an actor over and over again, I think you're able to get some of the best movies out of it. Why? Because once you know a person, you know how they act, you know how to give them direction, you know how to really fulfill your creative vision. I think that really shows on screen. So you don't have to get through that awkward stage of getting to know them. You know, you have all this history already built in with them. It's kind of like working with a coworker who you've known for a long time, which if you are not familiar with exactly what a director does, it's mainly the director's job to oversee all the creative things that go into a movie from when the script gets written. Sometimes they work with the writers. They're working with everything way in pre-production. And then once the movie is being filmed, it's their job to make sure they're getting the shots they need to make sure they're staying on script. Of course, you have all these other people working in like these little fine-tuned roles within the production, but it ultimately lands on their director. 
And one of the biggest things for them is to be able to get the performances out of their actors that they need to tell their story. And over my lifetime, I've really grown to love to see these directors work with these same actors over and over again, because I know no matter what, if they're teaming up together, it's probably going to be a great movie. So I put together a list of directors and what I think are their go-to actors. And these aren't my favorite directors of all time. They're just the people who have collaborated the most and who I would identify with having these trademark actors. So since I was talking about Quentin Tarantino, we'll start with him. And who I think his trademark actor is Samuel L. Jackson. He's been in six of his movies from Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volume 2, and Glorious Bastards, where he was an uncredited voice, Django Unchained, and The Hateful Eight. And the thing about Quentin Tarantino, he is trying to make, you know, 10 movies and call it quits. And throughout all of his movies, he's been really good about bringing back people that he cares about, that he wants to work with. You watch any Quentin Tarantino movie and there's at least one or two actors who have been in at least another few of his movies. But without a doubt for me, I think the relationship and the friendship he's built with Samuel L. Jackson is one of my favorite things to watch. He always gives Samuel L. Jackson a great role in every single movie. And for Samuel L. Jackson, who has been in hundreds of movies, literally hundreds of movies, I think he really shines in a Quentin Tarantino movie. So he's my favorite to watch. For sure, and I think that's his trademark actor. You could also argue against Uma Thurman, who is in both of the Kill Bill movies and also in Pulp Fiction, or Tim Roth, who has also been in a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies from Reservoir Dogs all the way up to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Quentin Tarantino is not my favorite director. I'll watch any single movie that he puts out. I think if I had a dream interview for this podcast, it would definitely be Quentin Tarantino, though. But I think I'll save my favorite directors for another episode. Next up on my list is another one of my favorite directors. I think a lot of people's favorite directors, and it's Martin Scorsese. And he also has a lot of frequent collaborators when it comes to actors. He's done so many movies. But I think his trademark actor is Robert De Niro. Movies that include Cape Fear, Casino, Goodfellas, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, Mean Streets, New York, New York, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, The King of Comedy, just... I mean, The Irishman, there's just so many movies that Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro have done together and the relationship they have built in these big epic dramas that Martin Scorsese is known for. And I think without Robert De Niro, a lot of those movies wouldn't have been the same because Robert De Niro is like the quintessential movie star. And I feel now he gets a little bit underrated of how good of an actor he is really truly is and how much of a range that he has being able to go from these you know big epic crime drama movies to even doing the more comedic stuff like meet the parents but i think it's when he is with martin scorsese in a movie where he truly shines and i think you could also make an argument for martin scorsese and leonardo dicaprio i mean they have gangs in new york the aviator the departed shutter island wolf of wall street and also killers of the flower moon coming out soon on apple tv plus but I felt like their relationship came together later in like the 2000s and has since been really strong. But if you're going with Martin Scorsese's trademark actor, I'm going with Robert De Niro. Next up on my list is almost a director I thought of first when making this whole podcast because I feel like Wes Anderson pretty much deals with a little pool of actors that he puts in every single movie. And I'm not the biggest Wes Anderson fan, but I love his aesthetic in movies. I love his creative vision. I love that any movie trailer you see, you know immediately that it's a Wes Anderson movie. And then upon watching his movies, you get the exact same feel in every single movie. His voice in film, is, I think, is one of the strongest of any director in our lifetime. 
I don't always think they're the most entertaining movies. I think sometimes they're a little kind of indie, kind of pretentious in a way, like very artsy, but I totally give him credit for having that aesthetic. And I think a lot of that is due to the actors that he works with over and over again, everyone from Jason Schwartzman to Owen Wilson. But I think his quintessential go-to trademark actor I would give to Bill Murray. I think they're the best pairing of director-actor duos probably in this entire list from Rushmore in 1998, The Royal Tenenbaums, The Life Aquatic, which I think is his best movie. I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Grand Budapest Hotel, and then even this year with The French Dispatch. No matter the role, the size of the role that Bill Murray has in a Wes Anderson movie, I think that's just a go-to director-actor pairing. So I had to put them on this list. Next up on my list, I'm going with Christopher Nolan and... Immediately, you kind of think of Christian Bale from The Bat Night Begins, Dark Knight Rises, The Dark Knight, and The Prestige. But I think even more so than Christian Bale, the actor that Christopher Nolan loves to put in his movies is Michael Caine. From all the Batman movies, and then also in The Prestige, Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, you always have Michael Caine there. And I think they've done some great work together, Michael Caine, at 88 years old. And it's been kind of rumored that he's retired from acting, but he hasn't yet. He said he's still doing movies. I hope he at least does a few more Christopher Nolan movies. Like, I know they're doing the whole new Batman thing with Robert Pattinson, and and that was only meant to be that trilogy with Christopher Nolan. But if they got back together, Christopher Nolan, Michael Caine, Christian Bale, and did one more movie, it would be the most epic thing of all time. I'll get into later how they're working with the whole multiverse of Spider-Man now. But if, like, DC saw all the hype created now with Spider-Man, imagine doing that with Batman. It would be insane. But I digress. So I wanted to do five of these. And my last one, I would go with Kevin Smith and Ben Affleck. I think for a while, Kevin Smith was probably my favorite director. And I think it's because of his kind of approach to filmmaking and the way he talks about it. It made it seem like somebody like me or anybody who just picks up a video camera, has a story, has some friends, could make a movie. And I think that's why I was so inspired by his work early on. And I always found this relationship between him and Ben Affleck so interesting. It's because I always found Ben Affleck to be an A-list actor. And, you know, when I grew up, he was in all these big movies. He was dating Jennifer Lopez. But I felt like he always did these movies as kind of a favor to Kevin Smith or I don't know. That's just what I associated with in my head. But he was really such a big part of all the Kevin Smith View Askew movies. And it was kind of cool just to see an actor at his level still doing these kind of comedies. Everything from my favorite Kevin Smith movie, Mall Rats in 1995, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back in 2001, Jersey Girl, Clerks 2, and then I recently watched the Jay and Silent Bob reboot that came out last, I think in like 2019, which was a little bit underwhelming for me because I felt like they just did the same movie again in kind of a newer setting. But I still always love the Kevin Smith, Ben Affleck combo. So if I was making those top five, that's who would go on my list. Some other ones I had some honorable mentions were Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. They did Saving Private Ryan, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, A Timeless Call. Bridge of Spies, and The Post. And the thing about that relationship is, for some reason, I don't always associate Steven Spielberg with Tom Hanks. I just associate Steven Spielberg with really directing all the greatest actors who has ever been on any kind of screen. But they have worked together again and again, so that's a really great team as well. I was also thinking about M. Night Shyamalan and Bruce Willis, because I think of M. Night Shyamalan's best movies. 
The common denominator is that Bruce Willis was always in them from The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. I think the only one of his that I really liked that Bruce Willis wasn't in was The Village and then probably Devil. Another one that almost made the list was Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. Adam McKay directed all the Anchorman movies. He also did Talladega Nights and Step Brothers. I think he was with Will Ferrell at the height of his career. It really kind of made him the biggest comedic movie star of the early 2000s. I think a relationship that Will Ferrell really kind of strived on. And then I had a couple more that are newer director combos that they've done a few movies together so far. But I think if they kept working with each other, we would see one of these relationships kind of form. The first one is Greta Gerwig and Saoirse Ronan and also slash Timothy Chalamet. She's only done a couple movies that she's directed, which one was Lady Bird and the other was Little Women. Both had Timothy Chalamet and Saoirse Ronan. Both were Best Picture nominees. And I already associate those two actors with Greta Gerwig. So I hope she continues to work with them because I could see a big relationship there. And then the other one I had were the Russo brothers and Tom Holland. Now the Russo brothers directed... Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, and they also did a movie last year called Cherry with Tom Holland. And one, I just feel like the Russo brothers really understand Marvel, and I really like the direction and what they've done with Tom Holland crossing over as Spider-Man in those movies, and how they were also able to work with him in that movie Cherry. I think as a team, they have what it takes to kind of get Tom Holland to that next level of actor, to get him to the bigger movies that I know he's capable of. I think they can pull those performances out of him. Because they already have that comfort of knowing him in like his quintessential role as Spider-Man, but also working with more of the dramatic, less superhero stuff. I would like to see them do more movies together. And then there's one more that I didn't feel comfortable putting on this list, mainly because I am not the biggest fan of this director or any of his movies. And I think a lot of it is hindered at the fact that he uses the same actors over and over, almost that it's hurting his movies because I feel like it's the same thing again and again. It has the same kind of style in every single movie and with the same actors, I think it kind of makes me want to see his movies less. And that director is Tim Burton and he seems to put Johnny Depp in all of his movies and also Helena Bonham Carter. Like they're in every single Tim Burton movie. I mean, I think in the 90s it was fine when Johnny Depp was in Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood, Sleepy Hollow... But then when I think it got to like 2000s and he was in Corpse Bride as a voice, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is I think the one that kind of made me, I really didn't like that movie whatsoever. I felt like it took all the heart out of the first one and made it unenjoyable for me. And then he went on to do Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, like all those movies just felt like the same thing over and over again. So they are frequent collaborators, but I think in that case, it actually hurts him a little bit, at least for me. If you have an actor and director combo that is one of your favorites, hit me up. Send me a tweet at Mike Distro. Comment on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Mike Distro, or shoot me an email, moviemikeD at gmail.com. Come back with a spoiler-free movie review, and then we'll get into the segment I've been waiting for, breaking down Spider-Man No Way Home, the trailer. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? 
That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Going to get into a spoiler-free movie review now, talking about the new movie streaming on Netflix called Tick, Tick, Boom, starring Andrew Garfield. It is the directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is the Hamilton guy. A movie I didn't know what I was going to think about because I'm not into musicals, but over time I've been trying to expose myself more and more to musicals because I feel like this is going to be a big movie. It'll probably be nominated for some Oscars. I'll get into what I thought about the movie. But before I get into that, instead of playing you a trailer like I normally do, I'm going to play you a song that happens in the movie because the whole movie is about Jonathan Larson, who is a famous playwright. He did Rent, and it's his story of deciding and figuring out if he picked the right career. And this is a part from the movie that I found that I kind of turned from not liking this movie to enjoying it. And it's a scene that kind of showcases what the movie is about. I thought it was a real highlight early on in the movie. And without this scene, I don't think I would have ended up even finishing the movie. But here's just a little bit of Tick, Tick, Boom. Time is flying and everything is dying. I thought by now I'd have a dog kidding. Ah, the ship is sort of sinking, so let's start drinking. Before we start thinking, this is the life. Yes. This is the life for bo 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 so why I decided to play that clip for you, here's the reason why. Now, about 10 minutes into this movie, I was like, this movie's not for me. I'm not liking it whatsoever. And it's because of its theatrical nature. And sometimes I have problems with musicals, especially ones that have to do with like theater, Broadway, all those kinds of things, because I feel like they're a little bit pretentious. They're very artsy. 
And I think that whole kind of art form has this connotation to it that to be into it, you have to have like this higher level of thinking. You have to find things like people just bursting out into song, enjoyable. And you really have to buy into the fact that whoever is making and directing these and writing these is trying to make a statement on the world and portray it through these characters and this story. And sometimes that's just hard for me to connect with, and I don't really find it that entertaining. But at this moment in the movie, I realized that it was a different kind of way to tell this story, because while they do burst out into song in the same way they would in a Broadway musical, there is a deeper, more emotional level to this movie. And I think that's what they did a great job with. I think it's probably due to Lin-Manuel Miranda kind of taking what he would do in a show like Broadway and making it an actual movie where I think it's really where this shines through. Why they are having these scenes that seem like they're just straight up ripped off from a Broadway play. There's scenes like this that kind of showcase that, but there's also the emotional scenes that are telling a story. And I think that's where this movie really kind of shined through. So the movie follows the life of Jonathan Larson before he ever created Rent, before he even got his first play done. And it's the story of him kind of battling if he's picked the right career. He is somebody who completely throws himself into his art almost to a fault to where maybe he's not as supportive of his friends. He doesn't keep up with all his friendships because he is determined to make it. He is putting all his effort into creating this play and hopefully getting on Broadway. So you get the story from his eyes. And I think what also really kind of made me enjoy this movie was Andrew Garfield. Like he is such a great actor. It was really cool to see him take this character and really kind of bring it to life and tie it in from the musical performances to the drama that went along with everything. I thought he really did a great job at that. I also thought this movie did a really great job of portraying New York City in a way I really haven't seen it before. And you think, well, New York City has been the backdrop of so many movies. How could you do that? Well, I think it's because it kind of looked at people in the most humane possible that I've really seen in a movie at this level to where you're seeing the kind of day-to-day, -day, sometimes ordinary life kind of amplified. And I really like that they focused on that. Everything from the apartment living to kind of them depicting on what it's like to be in theater. I thought it was a pretty cool scope of New York City. So coming from somebody who doesn't like musicals, I decided to give this movie a chance and I'm really happy that I did. And I think I owe a lot of that to enjoying it to greatly Andrew Garfield. But I think it's also Lin-Manuel Miranda really kind of taking the reins on this role as director and making this unlike any of the other movies he's done before. And really focused on kind of making a great film that if you took all the musical elements out of it, I mean like just the performances from, it would still be a good movie without that. And I think that's what I feel like I miss out sometimes on musicals is like the story is hard to follow when it's just being told through song. I think when you tell the story and acting and scenes, you're able to get that across a lot better. The acting was great. The songs, I found myself, even though I don't like Broadway style songs, I found myself enjoying them. It was also just cool to learn about Jonathan Larson's story, who I had no idea about. I really didn't know much about Rent. I knew probably the one song that everybody else knows. And then I think also the fact that it had to do with him kind of struggling with the idea of turning 30 and knowing that he only had a limited amount of time to, you know, live out his creative dream, which is something I think anybody else who has ever done anything creative always kind of wonders of like, you know, is it really 
worth it for me to chase this dream that I've been doing my entire life? Is it really worth it if I'm not at that point yet? And it's seeing him hit some pretty emotional lows that I felt kind of resonated with me. So I don't think this movie is for everyone. If you're not into musicals, it's a bit of a stretch in the very beginning of like, okay, I I could turn this off right now and be fine. But if you get through it, you kind of learn what they're going for. And you're looking for the story in this movie, I think you will enjoy it. If you're already into musicals, I think this might be one of your favorite movies of the year. And it's already probably going to be nominated for a bunch of Oscars. So if you want to get in early on one of those movies, another one to check out on Netflix. So tick, tick, boom. If I had to give it a rating, I would rate it right at 3.5 out of 5 New York diners. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. It's that time again, the part of the podcast where we check out new movies coming out in theaters very soon and breaking down the trailers. Here we go. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. And obviously the first one we have to talk about is Spider-Man No Way Home. The trailer came out last week. I was refreshing my feed on my phone every like 10 minutes throughout the entire day waiting for this movie trailer to drop. 
And I gotta say, I think the trailer delivered. I was pretty excited after watching it, but it did raise a lot of questions, a lot of fan theories going out on the internet about what's happening with the No Way Home movie. And I'll get into my theories on it, but first, I just want to look at the facts, because I think if you are online, you're on TikTok, on Twitter, everybody's kind of talking about who's going to be in Spider-Man No Way Home. And I'm just looking at the facts of the trailer. What we got to see for the very first time were all the villains. So I'll break down all the villains that were introduced in this trailer. But first, let's just take a look at the trailer. Hello, Peter. You're not Peter Parker. They're a danger to our universe. You're not going to take this away from me. You're struggling to have everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. This is all my fault. I can't save everyone. What's happening? They're starting to come through, and I can't stop them. All right, so let's break that down. So before this, we already knew Doc Ock and Green Goblin were going to be in this movie, but now for the first time, we see that Sandman from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man universe is this. You have Jamie Foxx as Electro, the Lizard from the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man. All the villains in this movie. So what they're kind of depicting in this is it's a multiverse of all the villains and Tom Holland Spider-Man having to defeat them. But you hear a lot in that trailer. Some of the things that kind of still stick out to me is, you know, Dr. Strange saying that he can't hold some of these people back. And you get to wondering who that is. And I think it's the final scene in this trailer that a lot of people are breaking down. And there's a moment where Spider-Man is lunging at three different villains. It's Electro, Sandman, and Lizard. And people are saying that has to mean there are two people missing from this frame that Marvel has edited out, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Now, a long time ago, I said that I don't think they're in this movie, and I still kind of hold true to that. It's becoming more and more apparent that they could be in this movie, mainly from that trailer. So I'm kind of been going back and forth on this the entire week. But looking at the facts here, and I'm thinking of Marvel as a business, and I'm thinking of Marvel of what they want to do that's best for them. And they don't really owe us anything. They've never said there was going to be a multiverse of Spider-Man. And they have really invested in Tom Holland and getting his character right and getting people kind of reinterested in Spider-Man again as, you know, essentially the third reboot of this character. And they've done a really great job at it. And Tom Holland is the star of this movie. And I kind of feel that introducing Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield would take away from that. And I think a lot of this is kind of the same thing that happened whenever Justin Timberlake was set to perform at the halftime show at the Super Bowl. And everybody was like, oh, it has to be in sync. He has to be bringing back all the sync members to do a song with him. And, you know, Justin Timberlake was like, I never said that. This is my halftime show. I don't really need to bring them in to take anything away from my performance. So it was a lot of just fan speculation, which is kind of what I think is happening now. But what you do see and hear in this trailer is Doc Ock realizing that that is not the Spider-Man that he knows. It's not the Peter Parker from his world. So it does kind of leave it open there that maybe Tobey Maguire does appear in this. People are saying there's some scenes that are reminiscent of when Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man saved Emma Stone's character in that movie. The falling scene. There's a lot of just kind of references to other Spider-Man movies. And I also think it's a little bit of people just wanting to buy into that. 
And I've said before, I don't really care about movie spoilers, but I'm not going to seek them out. I'm not going to go online and do all this research of looking at different cuts of the trailer from different countries to notice things off from it. If they are in this movie, I want to experience that in theaters. I think it'd be such a big moment that if they actually appeared, the theater would go insane. I'm already not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to look at Twitter or TikTok the night or the day of before I go see this movie. Because if it does happen, I don't want to ruin it. And when I do come on and review it, I won't even talk about that part if it does happen. It kind of feels like all the people who love to open their Christmas presents early are the same people looking out for these spoilers and trying to leak this. And also, again, going back to Marvel as an entity, as a business, they want to keep promoting the characters in their upcoming movies. So why couldn't it be Venom? Why couldn't Doc Ock join up with Spider-Man to fight the other characters in this, the other villains? They're trying to move this franchise forward, especially going into this new phase of Marvel where they don't have all their normal Avengers. So I could see them kind of crossing together and bringing in Venom or maybe even Morbius before his movie comes out. I just think there's more like kind of synergy to work in to keep their brand going and keep all these characters going. And also at just not denying the fact that they're not in it. The movie is basically marketing itself for people like me coming on and talking about that. With all the fan theories, they're building the hype without them even having to promote it. So don't get me wrong, I would love to see it. Spider-Man is my favorite comic book character, my favorite superhero. So just like you, I think that would be the most amazing thing ever. It just seems like something really hard to pull off. And for two people like Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, I don't know that they would even want to do it. I felt like they were, have kind of said before, they were a little bit done with the character. You know, some of them were promised other movies. They were promised to kind of keep those characters going for another movie. But at this point in their career, I don't know that they would want to do it, especially for somebody like Andrew Garfield. I was just talking about his last movie and in every single interview he did for that, everybody was asking him, hey, are you in the new Spider-Man? I think that would get a little bit tiring to be associated with that character all the time. So either way, this movie is going to have major, major box office success when it comes out on December 17th. If that is true, it'll be incredibly hard to keep that spoiler out. And I feel like Marvel's always done a really great job about telling people, hey, don't spoil the movie, don't spoil the movie. But that's a major spoiler. And I just think that Marvel is really smart about what they do put out in their trailers and they do things to get people talking. So nothing in that trailer got leaked out by accident. I don't think by dissecting it, you're going to find something that you weren't supposed to see. They've edited out things from their trailers before to throw us off. So that could be the case here. But either way... I'm super excited for this movie. I'm already about to buy my tickets, and it'll probably be my favorite movie of the year. But anyway, let's continue on here in the trailer park and talk about Don't Look Up, which is a movie coming out in theaters on December 10th and then on Netflix on December 24th. Really big cast here from Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Ariana Grande. The list goes on and on and on. But before I get into this trailer, here's just a little bit of that. I hear there's uh, something you don't like the looks of. We discovered a very large comet. Oh, good for you. It's headed directly towards Earth. This comet is what we call a planet killer. At this exact moment, I say we sit tight and assess. Sit tight and assess? Sit tight. And then assess. The sit tight part comes first, then you gotta digest it. That's the assessment period. 
This is the worst news in the history of humanity. He just blew us off. What are we going to do? We have to release the information. So we just leak it. So this movie is about two low-level astronomers played by Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio. And they're basically trying to warn everybody that in six months, this giant comet is going to collide with Earth and take us all out. And basically, nobody cares. So it's kind of a dark comedy from Adam McKay, who I was talking about earlier, who is known for comedies. And also just kind of a satire on the state of the world right now. They call it a movie based on a true story that hasn't happened yet, implying that this could probably happen someday in the future. So I think the thing that stands out the most from this trailer is seeing all these big actors kind of come out together. And I remember when this movie was first announced, they just listed this entire cast of characters, and I wondered how would they all kind of work together in a movie? Everybody from Leonardo DiCaprio, Timothy Chalamet, Jennifer Lawrence, Ariana Grande, Jonah Hill, Chris Evans, Meryl Streep. The list goes on and on and on, but... After watching this, I kind of see how it works. They all have kind of smaller, minor roles here and there spread out through the movie. And sometimes when you have this amount of actors in a movie, it means that the movie is going to be bad because you're kind of pitching it as, oh, here are all these A-list actors in a movie. It can't fail because they all promote it and everybody will want to see all these people in one single movie. And sometimes I feel like those movies flop. But in this case, kind of getting to see it, knowing that Adam McKay is behind it, directing it, I think there's truly something here. And looking at the two starring actors with Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio, I think that means it's going to be a good movie because Leonardo DiCaprio worked with the director and writer Adam McKay for months, kind of fine-tuning his part. The part of Jennifer Lawrence was written specifically for her, and it wasn't until they had the script just right that Leonardo decided to be a part of the movie. And the other thing about Adam McKay, if you're not familiar with his acting style, he's very open to letting these actors improv. He kind of gives them total freedom when they're working together, when they're doing a scene, to make it their own. And I think that's sometimes where you get some of the best stuff. There's one scene in particular that takes place in the White House Oval Office where they said it took two days to film and he allowed them to do nothing but improvise during those two days. And the scene they were filming ended up being 16 minutes long that they cut down. So I think if you have big actors, lots of improv, you should end up getting a pretty funny movie. So I went from being just interested in this movie because of the cast, but learning more about the process it took to getting this movie made to really being excited about this. Also feels a little bit Oscar Beatty coming out later in the year with all these actors. But I'm hoping for the best on this one. Don't Look Up comes out again in theaters on December 10th and on Netflix on December 24th. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. But before I hop out of here, every single week, I give a listener shout out to anybody who sends me an Instagram message, a comment, tweets me at Mike Distro, or sends me an email, moviemikeD at gmail.com. And for this week, I'm going over to the Instagram comments on my last video. And this is a comment from Jessica Smith, who wrote, Mike D, this is an incredible interview. You should be so proud of yourself for this accomplishment. At Chris Columbus is a big deal. Way to go. So appreciate that, Jessica. Glad you enjoyed that interview on last week's podcast. If you missed that, I did talk to Chris Columbus, who is the director of the first Harry Potter movie. We got into everything about the 20th anniversary. One of the coolest interviews I think I've had a chance to do on this podcast. So if you missed that, you can go back in the episode and check out that interview. Or you can see the clip on my Instagram at Mike Distro. Really thank you to everybody who's enjoyed that interview and sent a message, sent a comment, sent an email. I think the only complaint I saw about that interview is that 
I wish it would have been longer, which I fully agree with. Sometimes it's tougher to get the bigger names for a longer amount of time. So definitely as this podcast grows, that's something I am striving to do. But thank you for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week. And until next time, later. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.